With service second to none, Fury Brothers Lincoln of Iowa City has been earning the business of customers in Johnson County and the surrounding areas since 2010. Fury Brothers Lincoln is a full service dealership offering new Lincoln custom orders with a dedicated sales, service, and parts department. They are proud to be here for you. As a happy customer, the entire Deary staff was unbelievable to work with. They found the vehicles our family was looking for, and we will definitely be doing business with them in the future. Check out Deary Brothers Lincoln on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at Deary Bros. Hello and welcome to the Leave Your Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Kenya Murray, and today we have a very special guest. Um, not only is he a friend, but he is one of the biggest reasons that Christopher and Keegan Murray are having the success that they're having on the basketball floor this year. Uh, my friend and sports agent from Priority Sports, Kyle McAlarney. How you doing, Kyle? Doing great, Kenyon. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's special to have you on because you and I have gotten to know each other so well, obviously, with you working with Chris and Keegan. But a lot of listeners probably won't know much about you, so we're going to dive into that. And, you know, your career as a sports agent and trainer is relatively new for you. So I want you to – could you tell the listeners a, like a little bit about where you grew up? Uh, you had sure. an illustrious, illustrious high school career. Um, and, uh, and I think that they'll, they'll definitely want to hear that, but, uh, tell us about where you're from, your family and, and, uh, your basketball, your basketball career. So, um, I'm born and raised in Staten Island, New York. It's, uh, one of the five boroughs of New York city. Um, it's sort of a Staten Island is like where all the firemen, cops, nurses, and teachers live. Um, it's a very blue collar area. Um, my parents, uh, both born and raised in Staten Island as well. All my family is still back there. My wife is is from there. Her family's from there. So that's where our roots are. Staten Island, New York City. I'm a New Yorker at heart. Um, and I grew up playing basketball. I mean, like, you know, grew up playing in playgrounds and and around the city. Um, and uh, I had uh, the chance to play varsity as a freshman in high school. And things kind of changed for me when I learned about Sebastian Telfair. I don't know if you remember Sebastian oh, yeah. Telfair. He grew up in Coney Island, which was right across the bridge, the Verrazano Bridge, where I live. And the story about him was that he was getting into the gym before school to work out. And I remember talking to my dad about it. And my dad, like only my dad could in so few words, um, I said, Dad, if I could get a key, like I would do the same thing and it would it would help me. you know. And my dad was like, well, just ask just yeah. ask, you know? So I asked my high school coach at the time for a key and he gave me a two week trial. He said, if there's anything out of order, um, if there's anything out of line, if there's anybody else in here with you, if I find out, I'm taking it away. And, uh, I had that key. I think I still have the exact key. Um, although they changed the locks, but, um, so from there, I, you know, I started to really work on my game. Um, and I started to really get into skill development and trained myself. And it, 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 the results showed on the court. And I became um, New York State's um, New York, Staten Island's all-time leading scorer with 2,566 points. I averaged 35 my junior year, 35 my senior year. Um, my high scoring game was 59 um, versus a team that had five D1 players on it. Uh -huh. Um, and, uh, that kind of scoring outbursts that gave me kind of recognition and got me noticed. And that's what led to me playing, um, in college at Notre Dame. But, uh, it was more out of necessity than anything, Kenyon. Like we didn't really have a good, 
basketball team per right. se. Our sports were baseball and football. So um, my high school coach at the time designed an offense centered around me shooting. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and it's funny, like I wasn't a shooter, man. Like I was a point guard. Mm-hmm. I was like a little playmaker. And then when I started to really work on my game and hone in my footwork and my my form and my technique, my range increased and I, I started to shoot off the dribble. And then I became a shooter. Right. And that's that's when I started to put up those those numbers. And lo and behold, I I, I got a, a scholarship offer from Notre Dame and the rest was history. Well, I mean, coming out of Staten Island, obviously there's a lot of good basketball players on that in that part of the country. Yeah. So yeah. how did you end up at Notre Dame and and this ironic that uh, I almost went to Notre Dame and we have the connection with Fran McCaffrey a little bit too, but right. Right. how'd you make the decision to go to Notre Dame? So, you know, I'm an Irish Catholic kid. Um, and where I'm from, a lot of, it, there's a lot of Notre Dame mm. fans. There's a big fan base in New York city in that area. Um, and it's very, it would be easy for me to say like it was an easy decision because of that reason, because I'm Irish Catholic, right. because my last name is, MC and you know my my like it's easy for me to say like oh just Notre Dame fighting Irish it was an easy decision it it wasn't um for me it came down to I had the chance to play as a freshman right because I knew and my high school coach I give him a lot of credit because he helped me and my parents through this whole process he knew that like I just wasn't going at least if if I had the opportunity to play I would be I would be happy with my decision but if I was going to come in and, and it would be, you know, set from the beginning, like, oh, you got to earn your minutes. You know, this is 2005. Right. Now, freshmen start and play all the time around the country. You know, the college basketball is a lot younger than when when I played. Um, so, you know, you come in as a freshman, you got to earn your your keep. I just wanted a chance to play right away. And Notre Dame, the roster construction and the way that Coach Bray was playing at the time. Um, it gave me the opportunity to play right away. And I wound up starting half of the games um, in a, in a three guard lineup. We had a three guard lineup. And uh, so that, that really, that's what it came down to. I mean, style of play yeah. fed into it as well. Notre Dame was in the big East at the time. So it gave me the opportunity to play back in New York a lot. Yeah. You know, Rutgers was in the big East, Seton Hall, St. John's, Georgetown, Villanova. They're all, you know, within a two hour driving range of where I'm from. Um, so that played into it as well. But the main reason was like, I just want to go compete and have a chance to play. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, like any baller, any baller will want to do that. So, well, yeah. So, I mean, you had a great career at Notre Dame, obviously, and then you played professionally afterwards. So what was, what was that transition like going from the college ranks to professional and where did it take you? Where did that, where did your pro pro career take you? It, it took me around the world. Um, so I, I'm very happy with how my career went in Notre Dame. Um, obviously, my eyes were set on the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't tell on Zoom, but I'm only 5'11". <laughs> and um, I was basically, I became a shooting guard by the time I graduated Notre Dame. So there really just wasn't a place for me in the league. I couldn't guard my position. I tried. I played summer league with the Clippers. And I played really well. Um, they didn't invite me to camp or anything. And, and that was kind of it in terms of my NBA aspirations. Then from there, I went, I was in the D League for a year because I wanted to kind of see the NBA thing through. Mm-hmm. Then I went overseas. I, I played 
I played in uh, Greece for a season. And then I went to France on a two-year deal. And my wife and I just really liked France. And I stayed in France for seven more years. So nice. um, wound up playing just under 10 years total, um, mainly in France. And uh, that's where most of our memories are from our playing days. Gotcha. So and you I still retired, retired in 2018. You still so. speak French or did you ever speak French? I'm peu, I'm tipe, I'm tipe, which means a little bit. Um, you know, it's funny, like when I left there, when I retired, I was, I was, I, I, I don't, I don't ever say I was fluent, but I was conversational. Right. Like I could carry a conversation. I could hold a conversation, but it's been a couple of years removed now. And anytime someone puts me on the spot, I'm like, man, like I, I forget so much, you know, you, you, if you don't use it, you lose it. And yeah. uh, so I, I've lost a lot of that, those skills. But um, by the time I left, I was pretty conversational. Nice. Yeah. I felt the yeah. same way in Sweden. Cause I, I played point guard, which you probably can't believe <laughs> see my career, but yeah, you could had to call out plays in Swedish. And so that was, you know, yeah. that. It, but once I left, yeah, it's, it's gone. Don't ask me yeah. anything. And, and you know, playing overseas is, it's different, man. It's yeah. it's different. And it's great in a lot of ways. But in some other ways, it's like really sometimes they do things ass backwards. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but but alone, like it was the best experience for me for for just my personal growth. Yeah. Um, for my wife and our for my relationship with my wife. It was the best thing for us to get away, to be away. Yeah. Um, you know, having the high school career that I did at the time, I got a lot of attention from specifically from people in Staten Island. I was I was like a, a local celebrity in Staten Island and I was in the newspaper when newspapers were popular. Yeah, I was in the newspaper almost every day in in, in Staten Island. And it that I didn't like that. Like, it, you know, you think you do when you're 18, right. but you're, you don't even you don't know anything, you know, and like I, I didn't like that feeling, that pressure that I had to perform at a certain level to keep other people happy. And so playing overseas gave me the ability to just go play the game that I love. And like, I was kind of out of sight, out of mind. And that was great for me, for my just personal growth. Yeah, that's awesome. But you say that it was the best thing, but then you come back home. <laughs> you come back okay. home, yeah. you right. coach, Funny, become right? an AD. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how did... I know our listeners will love this story. So you come back home, you're AD, you're coach. How does Kyle McAlarney end up at Priority Sports as a sports agent? Oh, so it's, yeah, it's it's really a long story. So um, I Mark didn't represent me. Priority Sports did not represent me as a player. Um, and uh, so when I was 15 years old, and just bear with me for a second on this, when I was 15 years old. Um, my dad told me, you got to go get a job. Mm. You got to, you got to go get a, a job. You're 15, maybe I was 16, 15 or 16. You got to go get a job. Like you legally can go work. Mm. You got to go, you know? <laughs> so <clears throat> I, I washed dishes at my buddy's restaurant for like almost a full year. And then this, this guy who was a local, he's still a basketball trainer. His name is Jerry Mosley, runs a nonprofit called Shoot for Success. And I had worked with him when I was a kid and he just kind of asked me like, Hey, do you want to come by and help me out with a, you know, some workouts that I'm doing? So I started to do that when I was 15 years old. And then eventually that morphed into 
all right, I'm 16, I'm 17. He like gave me my own basket oh, nice. and I would work with kids on my own since I was like 16, 17 years old. And I'd be working with like 13 year olds and sometimes 15 year olds, like kids a year younger than me. And so I've been training players since that age. Wow. So fast forward, you know, when I became a pro, I'd always spoke at camps. That was my favorite thing to do was speak at basketball camps around the tri-state area. That was like a side hustle that I had. Mm-hmm. And I trained players. I did private instruction, um, a few clinics here and there. Um, and then when I became the head coach and AD at my high school, the main reason why I did it was because so I could have control over the gym schedule. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I continued, I did more clinics. I yeah. did more private instruction and um, more with the youth level than anything because I was coaching my high school team, of course. So then um, a buddy of mine who still works at Priority, um, he's a, my former roommate, teammate at Notre Dame. He's an, been an agent of Priority for the last nine years. He, he said, hey, Gordon Hayward is looking for – he just got rid of um, Drew Hanlon with Pure yeah. Sweat. Just didn't like the, the Instagram vibe, didn't like all the cameras in the gym, and just wants something different. And this was after his horrific injury in Boston, the year after. Gotcha. He's looking for he's looking for somebody new. The only caveat is you gotta you gotta spend some time in Boston. And by the way, you have to. We need approval from Danny Ainge and the front office. So you're gonna have to work Gordon out in front of Danny Ainge. Okay, <laughs> no pressure to get his approval so that they can let you in the facility and they're comfortable with the things that you're doing with Gordon. And at the time, you know, I I just wanted to coach. Like my whole life, I just wanted to coach and turn the training piece into being a, a, just a run a program. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like all in, I was like, okay, of course I'm going to do that. So I, I, I wound up doing it. Danny Ainge signed off on it. Brad Stevens signed off on it. I was good to go. And I spent a lot of time that season back and forth between New York and Boston training Gordon. I, I supplemented it with video and game notes after every single game and I was still the AD and I was still the head coach of my high school team. I just was making it all work. Right. Um, you probably like stressed beyond belief, you know, <laughs> I was not making a lot of money. And I was had my two kids at the time and, you know, my wife was working and I was not sleeping. So, you know, driving up to Boston at 2 a.m. to work with Gordon from 7 to 830, then get breakfast with him and then drive back to New York. Right. Just like five hour drive. I was doing that the whole year. Um, so as, as the year progressed, Mark and I developed a really good relationship, Mark Bartlestein. And, and um, he was like, look, you're just doing such a great job. I love the way that you approach your work with Gordon. Um, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to turn this into? And I remember telling him, like, I, I want to coach in the NBA. Like, I want to coach at the highest level. That's what I want to do. And so we talked that through for another like week or two. Mm-hmm. And he just flat out asked me, like, what would you think about coming to work here for me? And at the time, I was a little taken back because I never wanted to be an agent. Right. But I did at this point, having developed a relationship with Mark, seeing how he approaches the job is not what everyone thinks um, it is. It is a right. day-to-day grind. You are advising and mentoring on every little thing that goes on in the, these players' lives. And at the NBA level, like you need a lot of that because there's so much noise. Yeah. Um, and so I was intrigued and he was like, hey, and look, you can run our pre-draft program. 
You can work our vets out when they're in town. You can travel to go see them. You can continue to work with Gordon. I just want you to do what you did with Gordon with other guys that I represent. And I was, I, I was, I was grateful. Yeah. And I was like, okay, um, let's do it. You know. And so, the first six months were challenging because I had to become somebody different. Right. I had to stop telling people that I was a coach. And I had to start telling people that I was an agent and I work on this side of it now. But at this point now, I'm a couple of years in, I found my rhythm with it. And um, it's it's been a blessing for, for me because I, I really, since I was 16 and I started to train kids, that was a side of the game that I had always gravitated towards. Mm-hmm. That, pers- that one-on-one individual personal coaching, I'd always gravitated towards that. And um, Mark allows me to do that. And so I'm grateful. I love it. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the roundabout story. And for <laughs> me, it's like, I'm doing exactly what I always wanted to do. Right. It's just, it's just a little bit of a different setup, but I'm doing exactly what I always wanted to do. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. Um, you do a great job. And that's my next question was like, what's the, I think everybody either hears or sees the glamorous things about being an agent, you know, this agent representing this player and that player. So what's the best thing that you found to this point about being an agent and what's the worst thing? Sure. The, the, the best thing is really, you know, the relationships with the players, with the guys and being genuinely invested in them and then celebrating in their, their wins, mm. whether it's, like for Keegan getting drafted, like, and fourth overall, like that was like an amazing moment for me individually too, to just witness that. And just to have like a small role in that. It could be even like seeing Chris's rise this year, like, and having just a small role in his life. Those are the best moments or, or for another guy like Joe Wieskamp, you know, mm-hmm. like Joe's on a, a 10 day and he's probably going to get a second 10 day for him to just get an opportunity and to hear his excitement after a great practice or, or implementing something that we've been talking about on the court, like those little things are, that's the best part of it. And, and I think any coach or anybody in my position would say the same thing. Like the headlines are great, but it's the genuine happiness that you feel for the player because you're so connected to them. Yeah. The worst part of it is you don't control anything like, you know, <laughs> and, and I, you know, you really don't have any control over any of it. I mean, clients can wake up and just because there's somebody else recruiting them, they can fire you like that. Um, yeah. They could not play well. They can get hurt. There's injuries that happen all the time. Um, the front office could decide that they want to move the organization in a different direction or they want to give someone else a chance. There's so many things that are beyond your control that um, it seems like there's things moving in different directions at all times. Mm-hmm. There's there's a benefit to this, but there's also like no day is the same, and some days are just really chaotic because right. you're trying to just you're trying to like catch up to something that you can't catch up to because you don't have any control, you know. And then I would say too, if that's one A in terms of being the worst, one B is not really being a part of the locker room. Right. Um, for me, at least as an athlete, as someone who's always looked as himself as an athlete, as a coach, like not being in the locker room is hard for me. It's really <laughs> hard. Like 
because you know and you know this too man like when you're in the locker room that immediate feedback like we suck today yeah. we were great today we won we lost I think and probably mostly everything else in life other than sports is like this where you don't get that immediate feedback right and so that's for me that I still struggle personally with not being part of a team sometimes in that nature gotcha gotcha no yeah I'm starting you know obviously I've seen a lot over the last almost year now so you mentioned Chris and Keegan and so my question to you was because I didn't see it but when did you believe that Keegan could be an NBA player um and then when did you believe he'd be a lottery pick uh yeah yeah like that I think that's I don't know if I saw it maybe you saw yeah. it earlier than I did but when yeah. when did you when did you say okay like this this dude's got it it's funny so Keegan was Keegan was a year earlier than Chris for sure frankly because Chris didn't get any opportunity right to show um but Keegan his freshman year because we had recruited Joe Wieskamp um and that was the team that Joe Luca Garza um CJ Frederick that team we recruited Joe Wieskamp as a dynamic shooter um for the NBA and then just watching those games throughout the season seeing how Keegan played knowing that 95 percent of the league is a role player mm-hmm. you're a role player so sometimes you can over-evaluate when you're watching players with Keegan it was very simple it was length athleticism plays simple play knows how to play doesn't do anything he can't do his form looks pretty good although I don't know if you remember his freshman year like they wouldn't even guard him yeah (laughs) yeah but like to my eyes I was like he could turn into a shooter you know he turn into a shooter because the form is there I could see it it's he's just not shooting because Garza can go off for 50 at any moment so yeah yeah. I knew I knew Keegan could be a NBA rotational player right away as as his sophomore so going into his sophomore season that's when we reached out to you and started to you know build a relationship with you guys um as the season went along it just kept creeping closer and closer to being a lottery pick and then a top five pick because his performance just kept getting better and better and better because their non-conference was the non-conference schedule wasn't good yeah and he was putting up crazy numbers so the knock on him at that time was let's see what he can do in big 10 play you know so everyone was kind of pumping the brakes and we recruited Keegan thinking that he could be a, a first round pick right he could be a first round pick but he could also go back to school and develop and be a first round pick the following year when the Big Ten tournament came in Indianapolis, I was there watching in person. That's when I knew, like <laughs> seeing it in person, it, I was like, this is this is different. This yeah. is like, there's a different, um, Keegan is just, the way I tell, like he's just not high, not low. He's just, he's like a robot. Sometimes yeah. you don't even know if he's breathing. You know? <laughs> and I saw it up close to the Big Ten tournament when he had eight threes versus Indiana. Yeah some of them the level of difficulty was like man and then the foul or the, the game before I don't think he hit a three yeah yeah he just yeah I think I was Rutgers and he just dominated inside yeah. with that one yeah it was, it was something like that where I'm like now I'm talking NBA teams and then and they're like oh Keegan he, he's a top five pick and I'm just like man I mean versus Rutgers he didn't hit he didn't hit a three he had 28 
Yeah. You know, and everything was at the rim. And then Versailles, you, everything is from three and he's eight to 10 from three. Like that, that's, a, that's a top five pick, you know, yeah. so that's kind of when we, at least for me, that's when I was like, this is real. Like this is, and it's amazing because Chris, Chris, last year, the Rutgers game, you know, even last year, we used to speak out of frustration, like feeling like Chris should get more yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, and the Rutgers game, he comes out, I think it was the Rutgers game, right? At Rutgers. Um, Keegan didn't have a good game. Yeah. Chris, I think it was Rutgers. Chris had a, Chris had a really, really good game. And the one thing I noticed about Chris was just his IQ of yeah. the game, his feel really smart. And so some questions about Chris coming into the pre-draft process when Chris came to work out with us and, yeah. um, and then seeing Chris in person, sometimes win one-on-one segments with 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 NBA guys yeah. too. You know, like beating NBA guys in one-on-one segments and winning the whole thing, and just not Chris didn't even think anything of it. He's right. just like, <laughs> oh, sits on the side, gets his water or whatever. And I'm sitting there with with Rhino who runs our strength conditioning, and I'm like, did you see that? Like, like Chris just kicked everybody's ass you know and (laughs) and 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 so that's when i saw it with chris like man he just needs like a little bit more and like it's it's gonna happen for him too and like obviously we're seeing that in real time this year yeah yeah no it's 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 wild i think um maybe it's a little bit you know because i'm i'm one that follows like all the mock drafts and things like that and you know, to see Keegan kind of keep creeping up last year, I was like, okay, like, is this real? And then obviously at four, you know, we didn't know. And, you know, we found out when they called his name kind of thing. And and even Mark was thrown for a loop <laughs> a little yeah. bit at the, yeah. at the table. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, you know, you've done so much for them, just little things. You know, I think, like you said, coming into it, I think they've had great coaching. Um, I'm going to take myself out of that, but I'm going to talk about, you know, Coach Rickardson in high school, Coach West at DME, obviously Fran giving them the opportunity, but you've really been a big part of that and and obviously Mark, but that's the one thing about priority. It's it's felt like a family from day one. And, you know, I, there's a ton of agencies out there, but you were the one agency that we didn't even, like we didn't meet in person. Everything was via Zoom and it was just something like, I don't know. It, it just clicked and you guys said the same thing. So it's, I think people that are looking at becoming a professional athlete, like they need to do their due diligence and go through the the ringer on things. But you guys as an organization is top notch. And um, I know Michelle and I, we couldn't be happier or to be with you guys and, and you guys helping our two on this journey that they're on. So well, it's, it's our pleasure. It's my pleasure. And I'm having so much fun building the relationships that I have with, with them because they're so they're about the right things. And when we say the right things, like, and, and, you know, this is the way I look at it. Like we meaning priority sports and even Mark, Mark's the best in the business. Like we don't have all the answers, but you want to partner with us because of who we are, because who we are is going to drive our process. It's going to drive, you know, like Keegan and Chris committing to us and, wanting to hear from me, this little white guy that could, you know, every day. Yeah. But like they're doing that because they know that I made myself into the player that I was. I grinded to get to where I am today. 
I'm a family man at heart. There's nothing more important to me than family. I am very team oriented and friendly. I say all, I, you know, how I view the game, how I view life, who I am as a person, who Mark is as a person, that's what fuels our process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I think attracted your family to us and us to your family is we don't have all the answers. There's going to be things that come up that we're going to have to work through. There's going to be adversity, but we know we're going to go about it the right way. And our hearts are always going to be in the right place because that's, to me, that's the most important thing. And, and that's also with Keegan and Chris, like when I, when, when I started to build a relationship with them, figuring them out, Mm -hmm. it takes more than just talent to make it in the NBA. Like it takes a lot of heart and character more than people realize and they have it. And so there's adversity coming for both of them, but they have the skills and the wherewithal to, to get through it. And a lot of people, a lot of players don't, and that's something that can't be overlooked. Yeah. And I'm glad you said family, because that just goes right into my next question of, so you and you and your wife are East coast people and you made the move to Chicago. So how <laughs> has, was, it, was it traumatic? Now. Was it traumatic for, for her and the kids? Like how did that yeah. whole thing, uh, how that, she, I give my wife so much credit, man. Like I'm not an easy person to, to be married to. I'm very <laughs> driven. I'm very focused. Um, and I think she was definitely hardened by our playing days, you know, cause we, we moved a lot. Yeah. I went to this team in France and then this team and this team. And then this, just the speculation of it all too. And you remember like, I could go to this country. I could go to this. You don't know where you're going to be in next week sometimes. Right. And I think her having gone through that made the move a little bit easier, but now we have kids and you know, there's a lot of other factors involved. Um, obviously I went to Notre Dame, which is two hours from here. So, and what, what's, what was our saving grace was four of my college teammates live in this area. Mm. So immediately I had a social life. She had a social life. Um, so that helped. And we, we, we're very happy. We're very happy. I, I, I love the area we live in and she's, she loves the area we live in and we we're New Yorkers at heart. We miss New York city. But there's a lot of parts of it that we don't miss. Trust right. me. Um, <laughs> so we're happy to say we're Midwesterners now, although we haven't found our pizza spot yet. So gotcha. <laughs> still, looking, still looking for that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, I, I always have what my guests have rapid fire questions. And so uh, I got a few of them for you here uh, as we look to, to wrap up the segment. But uh, so first one, in all your travels, what's been your favorite country to travel to and why? Um, I mean, I got to give the edge to France mainly because that's where my, my wife and I, our fondest memories are in France. Our kids spend some time there. So I, I would say France because of the food, the people, because of everything. We just, we, we made it our second home. Gotcha. Greece, Greece is a close second though, just because of the weather and, um, they have a different, uh, different mentality over there too, but, uh, <laughs> France, France for sure. Okay. France. Gotcha. All right. So what is your favorite nba arena yeah um the garden madison square garden just because it's new york i grew up going to knicks games in the 90s with pat ewing and john starks and yeah uh, that's how i kind of fell in love with the game but i i have to say going to the big 10 tournament um in indianapolis like that arena is set up to watch the games yeah different than the 
Fizzerve, I think Fizzerve form in Milwaukee, for example, like there's it's more of like a nightclub kind of atmosphere, right. you know. Right. Um, but I really liked the uh, is it Conseco Fieldhouse? Would oh no, I think it, they changed it. It's like um, yeah. Anyway, something yeah, that, that yeah. arena, that arena. Yeah. So the Garden and then the one in, in Indianapolis for me. I well, just, I'm ho- with that. I'm hoping Keegan when he when they play at the Pacers, he he makes eight threes again yeah, <laughs> like he did yeah, that game yeah, in the Big yeah, Ten. Yeah. Replicate some of that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And then obviously this is the leave your legacy podcast. So one thing I always talk to people about is that most people don't believe they leave a legacy, right? They think when they talk legacy, it's about the money they leave behind or they donate to this oh. or that. Um, but I feel that each and every one of us leaves a legacy in their own way. So what's your, what's your definition of legacy? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't sleep last night thinking about this question. Um, okay. I, I think, Growing up, and I don't know if you felt this way, but growing up, maybe my answer would have been some big, you know, be the first person to make the NBA from Staten Island, be, you know, these big things, um, you know, uh, lead the country in scoring or do do something big. Right. And I think now as a father and as a husband, like, I think the answer really is just to my job isn't to change the world or anything. My job is to positively affect the people close to me. Mm. My children, number one, my wife, of course, my friends, my brothers, my sister, and then the clients that I work with, like my, my purpose in life is, is players, right? Because I, I was obsessed with my own career. So I, I feel like there's a lot of thought processes that I've, gone through in my years playing i was so serious about it that now when i'm talking to players it's just very easy for me to connect with them so like to me my legacy is through the players that i work with through my kids just having some sort of a positive impact on them and it may be and maybe just being here maybe just yeah listening to them one day maybe just visiting them maybe work one workout can change something so I try and like, I've tried to shrink it down now yeah. as opposed to thinking of, of these grandiose things and trying to change the world. No, I got to, what's right in front of me. Like, so I, I try and I'm, I'm a work in progress on this, but I, I have an intention 2023 to try and be more present with what I'm doing. So right now my legacy is through this podcast, yeah. you know, and I'm trying to, trying to nail every answer and give you the most <laughs> genuine real answer that I can for every question, because I feel like that's, that's really what is going to eventually become my legacy. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I love it. I love it. Well, Hey man, uh, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you know, one thing, like I said earlier is like your, your family now, um, you know, Michelle and I, uh, there's not a day that goes by that we don't talk about you or Mark or someone at priority because you guys have become family. Um, before our listeners, yeah. I always leave with a, with a, with a quote. Now, I have a quote from uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, and it says, if you can't figure out your purpose, figure out your passion, for your passion will lead you right to your purpose. And I truly believe that. You know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, and you just, you just said it. So I don't know if it was, yeah. I don't yeah. know if you're trying to make this the best one because you led into like every question <laughs> after that. But, uh, but yeah, man, I just, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast, and it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure on my end too, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Now, hey, I got another announcement to make. Um, we are proud to announce that we've recently been added to the iHeartRadio platform, Spreaker. So now you can get our podcast on the Talk About Network on YouTube. Uh, you can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Spreaker. So remember to subscribe, give us a like, and hit that notification button so you know when a new episode drops. And with that, I'm Kenya Murray. Until next time. This podcast is sponsored by Storyline Multimedia. Storyline is an Iowa City-based media company that specializes in creating high-quality video, photo, and audio productions for local businesses. Not only that, but they also produce a number of podcasts, including this one. So if you're interested in sharing the story of your business with the world, contact them today by visiting StorylineMultimedia.com. And remember, your story matters.